Welcome to the In The Clouds podcast. In The Clouds is a marketing cloud podcast powered by Lev, the most influential marketing-focused Salesforce consultancy in the world. Lev is customer experience obsessed, and podcast hosts Bobby Tishy and Cole Fisher have partnered with some of the world's most well-known brands to help them master meaningful one-on-one connections with their customers. In this podcast, they'll combine strategy and deep technical expertise to share best practices, how-tos, and real-life use cases and solutions for the world's top brands using Salesforce products today. Welcome to In The Clouds Podcast, live from the 317. That doesn't sound nearly as cool when you say it. I'm sure somebody says that <laughs> says live from the 317. Live from the 317. Coming at you from Indianapolis, Indiana. Not cool enough to pull off live from the 317. <laughs> but yes, we're both uh, airing from Indianapolis right now. Yeah, I am pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everybody for joining. Today we're going to focus on Journey Builder and in our last uh um, episode focusing on implementing Salesforce Marketing Cloud and really the basics on the email front. And so uh, focusing on Journey Builder and really how it's presented and how it works, as well as the different components that are available to us, um, as well as uh, how, how or what is the best way to start implementing Journey Builder? And then uh, some different elements around troubleshooting and things that people typically come in contact with that might be helpful to know. And then uh, just the best ways um, to build them. And then we'll talk about some journeys that we've worked on that we've seen really be successful as well. Uh, and then we'll jump over into, uh, into completely unrelated. So uh, first, just jumping into Journey Builder. Uh, Cole, I'd love to kind of hear your perspective on its differentiator in the marketplace. Yeah, so uh, Journey Builder itself is kind of that um, staple product that really separates Salesforce Marketing Cloud from, I feel like, a lot of competitors in the space. And so automation tools are uh, not uncommon in the space. Uh, but it, when it comes to Journey Builder, I guess I may, how would you define Journey Builder? I guess I would say it would be something, you know, uh, along the lines of a customer experience automation tool that, that, provides decisioning and orchestration across multiple channels. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, what, what I feel like is really the key differentiator there is, A, it is multi-channel, so it's not just email, it's email orchestration, ad orchestration, things like that exist, you know, ample in the space. And so that's not really uh, what sets it apart. But the fact that it is cross-channel, uh, the fact that, honestly, it has uh, a a pretty easy uh, drag and drop type of capability uh, in its user interface. And I feel like for, for what it, per, what it serves as a purpose is a lot more uh, intuitive than I feel like most automation tools of that nature can be. Uh, and then on top of that, the decisioning capabilities. So being able to segment on, you know, whether somebody's open or whether somebody's interacted with a certain uh, message and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like, yeah, those are really kind of, core differentiators that make this journey builder kind of the staple of marketing cloud, the big differentiator. Yeah. I think the way I always describe it to folks is it's a marketing automation tool. And I think that that's selling it a little bit short. I think your description is a lot better. I think about 
other tools that I've worked with extensively, like Marketo, where it has these kind of feature sets, but it's not as intuitive, like you had mentioned, but it's also not as integrated. And so the really mm-hmm. nice thing about Journey Builder, and we'll talk a little bit this, more about this as we get into the components, but it's, it's strong integration into sales and service cloud, but also the ability for us to integrate it to anything else using custom activities. And so whether it's uh, another uh, channel provider or a direct mail provider or anything that has a web service, uh, we can call from Journey Builder. So even if we just want to notify you know, someone at a register, for example, about something that's happening in a retail store, something along those lines. Yeah, it really kind of provides that same flexibility that the entire model of marketing cloud is built on, whether it's API or manual or SFTP, whatever it might be, pulling in data and you know, marketing cloud has that really, really flexible integration to any other systems and tools. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same sort of thing with Journey Builder. Uh, so it really is remarkable. And, and maybe we can get into uh, some use cases later on of some pretty unique uh, cases where, um, you know, there's been some, some neat capabilities and uses out of Journey Builder. The one good thing I really like about it too, that Salesforce has done a good job in innovating and putting more research and development behind the product is you're now able to generate almost all of your messaging directly in Journey Builder. So for example, a lot of other tools, you've got to go to a different content section to create an email or select an email or to create a mobile message. But within Journey Builder, you can do all of that directly in the Journey Builder UI. So you don't have to switch from one toggle to another toggle Mm -hmm. to be able to do that. So with that, and thinking of the user interface, let's jump into the different components of Journey Builder. Cole had already mentioned the drag and drop canvas. But as, as we think about just creating a journey from scratch, the, there are kind of three main different elements that we want to think about. One is the entry event. So how are people actually getting into a journey? What kind of segmentation criteria are we going to put in place? The next is what is the goal of that journey? So is it to make someone purchase? Is it to make someone engage? Whatever that goal might be. And then also what is the exit criteria of that journey? So for example, the goal and exit can sometimes be synonymous with one another because if someone gets to the goal of the journey, we want them to be ejected from it. Same thing with the exit. So if someone purchases, for example, that's goal, they might be removed. But if someone unsubscribes, they may also uh, want to be removed, and that would be more on the exit criteria. So those are the three main elements, the entry, the goal, and the exit. Really important to keep those in mind as you guys are, are building out your first journeys. But then there's a slew of other activities and uh, entry sources and all that kind of stuff that you're able to do within Journey Builder as well. And I don't mean to pump uh, Salesforce's tires too much or anything, but there's a good reason, a valid reason that Journey Builder is the sort of staple product within Marketing Cloud. Uh, it is doing more than, than other orchestration tools can. It is mm-hmm. operating across more channels than other tools do. Um, and, and honestly, I think it's really easy to, you know, back in the exact target days, we kind of did this, where it's, it's easy to sort of forego the direct user experience, the user being, you know, the marketer in this case. Uh, it's easy to not really pay a whole lot of attention to uh, design and interface and um, ease of use, really, because this, these tend to be more technical products. And so it's easy to, to let that be an excuse to say, okay, well, since these are more technical products, um, more 
technical resources will be interfacing with this. And I think this is one of those tools where they've actually gone out and ironed out the, the design and process and made it more intuitive. And, you know, most of the time, especially in, in our industry, you'll see demos of products and things like that. And it always looks fantastic on the demo. And then you actually go and sit in front of it and you're like, well, what did I just watch? <laughs> and why does it do any of this, what I expected? And, you know, not that there, there are still, you know, people get, get hung up on um, maybe not defining a, a, you know, an entry point or something properly. But, um, but for, for the most part, it, you know, when they say it's drag and drop canvas and when you watch the demos, it actually translates pretty well into real time mm-hmm. use of the product. Definitely. Yeah. They've done a great job of, uh, you know, putting a lot of power behind Journey Builder as far as research and development and investment is concerned. And it, it really shows. And I think that I remember when I first started at Marketo, leaving Salesforce about a year after the acquisition of Exact Target. This is where I had wish we had one of those radio buttons where I could press the boo and it'd be a whole crowd <laughs> booing and the sound effects. Gallery, you know? But it was so interesting because I remember seeing Marketo's integration with Salesforce and Exact Target's integration with Salesforce at the time. And Marketo's was definitely better. And it's been really interesting over the last four or five years to see how much that integration on the marketing cloud side has gotten better. And it's all hinged on Journey Builder. The amount of uh, customization you can build um, within Journey Builder to writing back to, to Salesforce and also the listening components within Journey Builder are, are really, really powerful. And so the entry events are, are kind of the, the catalyst, like we talked about earlier, of how do we get somebody into a journey? And the, uh, the first one I mentioned was um, sales or service cloud. So it could be anything from when a lead is created or a contact is updated or a case is created, almost anything that is on a standard or custom object in uh, sales or service cloud, we can use as part of an entry event. And so it's, it's a really powerful as far as the integration is concerned. Now, if you don't have sales or service cloud or you don't have it integrated to journey builder, no problem at all. You can use any of your data extensions or other data sources as your entry event. And you can either you know, use queries that you've already built, or you can use the drag and drop canvas and segmentation within uh, marketing cloud um, within Journey Builder. So what it will do, it will inherit the relational contact model that you set up, and then you can build any kind of segment or segmentation that you want to um, within that entry source. So it's really neat to see that element of it as well. There are a couple other entry sources. Uh, one is called a cloud page form. Um, so for those of you who are aware, um, there are forms that are available through cloud pages. Um, th- those are the standard forms though. So not, uh, not uh, super sophisticated. If you're just using the basic forms, you're able to use that to inject directly into a journey. And then the other element would be through the API. So for example, if someone signs up on the website and we have a web service call directly to journey builder or to marketing cloud, we can use that as the entry event and have people go directly down that journey. Yeah, and so when you're getting started with uh, journeys, again, with that usability factor, really when we're, when we're starting fresh from scratch, uh, they've even designed ahead of time where you can actually pull templates of journeys that already exist. You, want, you can do welcome templates or abandoned cart templates, the more common low-hanging fruit um, journeys. I, I think one thing that we always try to steer 
uh, customers away from is envisioning like the end in customer life cycle mm-hmm. as a journey, you know, where sure. they go through acquisition and then they go through onboarding and then engagement and, you know, purchase life cycles. And then, you know, be- because I think, I think intuitively people think about the end in customer experience and while journey builder manages the customer experience, it's really best suited uh, or in your best interest really to manage that in small facets and different chunks in, you know, breaking off either types of product or types of instances within the life cycle, um, stages of the life cycle. So, you know, just the acquire or the onboarding or something like mm-hmm. that. So like a welcome series or something like that might be a really good idea for uh, a journey. Whereas, you know, welcoming and then decision splitting into how they engage and then the post purchase and things like that. Uh, those should really tend to be broken up. And I feel like that's a common one for a first step into journey builder, like a rookie, you know, setup right. where I will man- want to manage everything and you can really manage everything. Um, in fact, we have customers that don't send any one-off emails. They do everything through journey builder mm-hmm. uh, and it's fully capable of accommodating that. But what we always caution against is trying to make too long or complex of a journey where if you have to make an update or anything like that, the entire journey is, is starting new or you're affecting everybody else in that journey right. with one minor change. Yeah, because I think people just try to boil the ocean instead of just trying to just start from a very easy point of entry. So instead of thinking of, okay, what is the goal of this journey? You know, what, if, if you can't really define the goal in a sentence, it's probably too big of a goal is the way I typically think about it. So you made the example of a welcome journey. So I just want to welcome people into my brand. I want to let them know what we stand for and how we're going to provide any kind of a service to them. Um, Same thing with things like a re-engagement campaign or a win-back campaign, right? Re-engagement. We're trying to get people to come back and engage with us on a particular channel or for a particular reason, whether that's to buy or just engage with our content. And the win back would be, you know, we're just trying to, people have purchased before, we want to get them back into the fold on, uh, on our particular journey. And so really starting simple and then iterating from there is how we found people to be most successful. I think people really get caught up in, to your point, you know, customer lifecycle is so important. And it's typically one of the first questions that we ask um, our, our customers, do you have a customer life cycle? Do you have customer personas? And those are, are, are so important. Um, but even if you do have those, trying to build them all into a single journey would be a monumental task. And so instead, what we typically recommend is having different journeys for different stages of that life cycle. So for example, maybe acquisition is a journey, maybe onboarding is a journey, optimizing, um, cross-selling, win-back, all these different elements that should be different streams altogether and should be different journeys. And to your point, then you're able to do things like test content or mm-hmm. subject lines or channels, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And when you get to that point, well, you can always become more complex with it. Um, but just starting off right off the bat with an acquisition journey for you know a welcome journey, a, a post-purchase journey, things like that, right off the bat, uh, at least get us to the point where we're accomplishing more than we already were. Then we get to the point of like, okay, do we treat our acquisitions differently. So this was a, a web form uh, and this was a, you know, walk into a retail store 
um, lead. So how do we treat these differently? And how do we, you know, kind of iterate on these journeys and their experiences and how do we tie that in? And so, you know, your welcome journeys be can become more complex or they can become separate journeys in and of themselves. Uh, but I, I feel like it's just the same concept as marketing in general. It's iterative, it's constantly evolving, and you're doing more as you learn more. And actually, one of the best things is, is what you, that you mentioned was the uh, split testing feature within Journey Builder, which, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I love to geek out on just the concept of measurable, actionable data, especially when we automate it and, and just know that the best piece of content, the best subject line, the best timing, whatever, whatever it is that we're testing is being moved forward as the most optimal. And so you, know, you can split test across multiple um, uh, different variations and just have it automated as to where you go and when you actually um, move forward. So I can say, I'm going to test 5% of my audience and whichever is the most successful piece of content, move forward with the rest of the 95% on this. Mm -hmm. And I love that feature. The, test, the, the testing feature is actually fantastic in Journey Builder. Yeah, the, the split testing, um, you know, doing a random uh, split or, or split based on a particular field, the um, engagement split. So if someone opens or clicks or doesn't open or click, uh, in addition to some of the more recent features um, on the Einstein front. So um, send time optimization, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit more in, in a future podcast uh, once it's officially released. Uh, and then also um, Einstein engagement frequency. So I'm looking at how often we're sending to people, what's the, the right amount to be able to, or to really be, um, sharing content with them or sending emails to them so that there's continuous uh, advancement and innovation on journey builder too. In addition to some of those kind of baseline features that you'll find. So the kind of speaking of that, I, I kind of think about like the best and the worst journeys um, that we've seen uh, the, I think like the best one that I've seen and there, there's so many that are, that are really good. So I, I hate to choose just one, but one that I really liked, and this has been a couple of years ago, but it was the first time I really saw this strategy where it was an onboarding welcome journey. And what they were doing was uh, just sending out three emails. If you didn't open the first email, they sent you a, the same email, but with a different subject line mm -hmm. or from name. Uh, and then if you didn't open that, then you were kicked out of the journey and marked as unengaged and they would try you on a different channel. And they did that at every step of those three emails. So by the time you got to the end, if you opened or clicked all three emails, you were a highly engaged subscriber. Almost like a lead scoring type exactly, of- yeah. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And then they were able to use that to segment and build dynamic content and really kind of build a strategy for that particular person. Whereas if you only opened two of the emails or one of the emails, then you, know, you were ejected from that journey with a different you know, score, so mm -hmm. to speak. And so I really like that, that kind of, you know, it was, it was simple, but it was also sophisticated in its own right. I, I like that. And we're also, were they actually tearing out their, um, their subscribers in buckets of, of yeah. so that they could segment them? Yeah. Later. So then they were updating that or updating that. And um, that's another nice feature at Journey Builders. You can write back to the contact model um, to a data extension or a record in a data extension. So if Cole opened these three emails, that highly engaged went right back to his um, record on the master data extension. So that way, whenever I'm doing any kind of segmentation or queries or things, I can just use that as part of my criteria. Yeah, it seems super basic, uh, but it's and really straightforward, mm -hmm. but it's a fantastic idea. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and um, the, some of the worst that I've seen, 
uh, I, I saw one for uh, a retailer that was over 500 activities. Oh. Like you couldn't, you could not zoom out enough in the browser to be able to see all of the activities. And it was just like, I don't even know how you, I don't know how you show success for this. I don't know how you troubleshoot any of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just one of those things like, guys, we should probably, this should be like 12 journeys, not one journey. Yeah, I've seen the exact same thing where you can't zoom out enough to even envision the like, picture like the yeah. entire end-to-end journey at some point. And, and most of them that we see, um, and this is one that uh, that's really helpful when we think about contact frequency or communication limits, but the, the first activity in every journey in, in my opinion, should be an update contact. So we have a field on the contact that we're saying this person is in a journey. Now, whether we uh, signify what journey that person's in, whether it's welcome or re-engagement, whatever, that's, a, that's you know, more sophisticated. But if someone is, is in a journey, most likely we should probably suppress them from if there's a daily or every other day, mm-hmm. kind of the more batch and blast type sense because we want to be sensitive to the email that they're getting. So that's something that I really like seeing. And then at the end of that journey, same thing, update contact to remove them or remove that value of being in a journey. Yeah. And I think that's, that's just kind of an inherent, inherently important component to journey builder is exit. You have to yeah. let the journey end. You have to let the right. exit at some right. point. And I feel like when we see those big complicated journeys, those are usually a product of uh, this exit, this, you know, this drag and drop exit <laughs> criteria here. Like, ah, I just, I'll use that later. Right. You know, like, right. but, but we keep the same subscribers, the same users, the same customers in our journey for so long that, that it ends up kind of defeating the purpose of the journey that we began with. Exactly. So exactly. I've definitely seen some of those that were just super complicated that were entire, almost entire life cycles in a single journey. Um, and that's, that's just, you know, that's a, a common um, issue. I feel like probably the most common is just not really um, stepping back to the 30,000 foot view and assessing what and why, you know, what type of journey do I need and why, what is the purpose behind it? Like you said, what is right. the goal? If you can't, I, I like the way you put that. If you don't put the, if you can't succinctly uh, communicate the goal in a sentence or mm-hmm. less, then it's probably too complicated to be a manageable journey and an effective one right. in that regard. So, um, but one of the, one of the most effective ones that I, I saw uh, was when I was at Salesforce um, and I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name, but it's a, it's a tire retailer. And what they would always do is, you know, they offered free checkups. And every time somebody came in for a checkup, they would measure the tread of the tire. And that was it. And they just, they just put it into their, um, uh, into their system. And, and that was it. So we, we built an integration, pulling in that data uh, into Marketing Cloud and just storing it as, as, as data fields and uh, in data extensions. And one, what we started doing with it was uh, we could drop them into a journey once they passed a, thir- a certain threshold. Mm. Or, you know, and in, in, in phase two, we were working on, um, so, so like, essentially there's like stages of, of, you know, how a tire decays all, yeah. over time on the road. And, and when you pass like a, a four or a five, um, I think millimeter measurement, that's when it becomes like very dangerous uh, in terms of the, the depth of your tread. And so what they were, what they were doing is if people came in and they were above that, uh, then they would drop them into this journey and it would like count down um, according to their, you know, 
their basic usage of yeah. when we would expect them to pop, probably cross the four or five threshold. And then they would trigger out a, a message and saying, by the way, and we had a, uh, um, an image that would dynamically populate in the email saying which or you know, how many of their tires were actually uh, below the threshold. Oh, nice. And so okay. if it was, if it was uh, green, that meant it was like above a six or something like that. If it was a four or a five, it was yellow, and it would highlight which tire, front, left, whatever. Uh, and then it would go red if it was below that. And then, you know, as, as the journey progressed, we would mail them uh, or send them messages and, um, you know, whether they open things like that, where mm -hmm. they would have different reactions, but um, they had, they saw just a tremendous success rate and the metrics behind it uh, were, I, and I can't really share the, the, the whole figures off the top of my head, but it was uh, in the millions for, you know, just, you know, a couple of months of the journey running wow. of attributable revenue to, to this journey. Um, and it was, it was, they had a fantastic success with it. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where we've got all the data. We just need to make sure that, that journey is built the right way. Um, and also, the one thing that we saw with the recent retailer as well uh, that um, kind of the the no nos of journeys, like we talked about before, of you know updating the contact to be able to suppress people who are in a journey to know that they are in a journey. Is if I'm going down a journey, a welcome journey, let's say, but I've already made a purchase. We've got to figure out a way to make sure that the, that messaging is in sync, um, because just like um, how helpful something could be, like the tire retailer, mm -hmm. if uh, I if there like let's say there was a coupon within that, and the second email in that journey was a coupon for twenty five percent off, but the day before I just upgraded my tires and I didn't have the twenty five percent off. That's really you got to make sure you have the messaging. <laughs> Um, in sync and integrated um, across the board. So really just figuring out your suppressions and exclusions along the way, or that that's why that goal and the exit criteria is so important and making sure that all of the data points are connected um, in, a, in an automated fashion. Yeah, data in and data out as efficiently as possible. Uh, and that was a big thing too. I mean, so, so with their journey in particular, it started off really basic. I mean, it wasn't, you know, super difficult. It was a manual measurement that had some sort of data input as soon as their appointment was over. And so that, you know, automatically in a different journey triggered some sort of a thank you or another, um, a, you know, appointment follow-up or something. Uh, but after that, it was just drop in, super simple. Um, but yeah, like we, we, we didn't try to complicate it too much. We let it run as itself, yeah. saw tremendous success and then began to iterate on that and started testing on that. But yeah, there, there have definitely been, I can think of a couple of cases where there have been big fallouts of, Oh, by the way, here's your coupon or here's your later on. And it was, I just made my purchase, <laughs> you know, this was right. not an insignificant purchase right. by any means, but now you're giving me the coupon afterwards for the item that I checked out two days ago. Mm -hmm. And that's 48 hour window where we, we should have, should have had some sort of exactly. data and some sort of update. Yeah. Most definitely. The, the last portion I'll mention is just uh, plan for testing and optimization. So we talked a lot about optimization of starting simple, iterating, you know, constantly, as we always say, marketing is never perfect or finished, but also for testing. So what's really nice is within the journey interface, we've got a ton of testing capabilities where it will go through every message, make sure your dynamic content and your AMP script and all those different elements are good to go. Um, but also, uh, it will actually send you all those different emails um, within a short amount of time to make sure you can test them and approve them um, before going out. So uh, that's our, our session on Journey Builder and implementing Journey Builder um, as we go through uh, 
we'll also in, in a couple other podcasts coming up, we'll talk through some of the more advanced features that we talked about Einstein in a little bit more detail. Looking forward to that. But earlier today, moving on to completely unrelated, uh, Cole and I were having lunch, and uh, I'm a I'm a big basketball fan, and uh, I mentioned that to Cole. And I uh, proceeded to get a about a five-minute rant on why basketball <laughs> is the worst of the sports. And so I'd like to hear why you think basketball is the worst of the sports. I wasn't just necessarily just blaming basketball. I'm not much of an NBA guy, which is what we were really talking about. But, you know, yeah, it, it curtails into just basketball in general. But, but I love March Madness. But it was, much more about, March Madness. it was much more about the scoring of basketball. Well, just as a, as a concept in general. So I've got my own issues with the NBA, which, you know, Full disclosure, I was a giant Pacers fan uh, until the rumble in Detroit or whatever they call this now. Malice of the Palace. Malice of the Palace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where it just it turned into the WWF for me and, and you're a WWE now. But that just wasn't uh, – that wasn't my jam anymore. And I didn't want to see that. And I'm much more of a hockey fan or really any other sport. Uh, but I think – so if I'm being totally transparent, part of it is the fact that of all sports that I played growing up, basketball is my worst. Well, I was the only one. I was the only one in my family to get cut from the elementary school basketball team both years. Wait, your elementary school had a basketball? Oh team? yeah. Oh well, yeah, fifth and sixth grade. Man. That was that was a big deal. Oh okay. I when you said both years, I was like, did you only go to two years in oh. elementary school? <laughs> I loved elementary school so much they always held me back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, but but my my problem was uh, just in the concept of of basketball versus other sports. Think about like the main objective. We're talking about journey builder and goals here, and defining the goal. And so the goal. In, in hockey, for instance, is to take a six-ounce vulcanized rubber puck and put it in the back of the opponent's net. It's very difficult to do. When it does happen, it's a big deal. The crowd goes crazy. It's really exciting. I don't know what vulcanized means. It's, it, it's just what the puck is made of. <laughs> um, so soccer, for instance, you might go 90 minutes and not accomplish the goal. You know, in fact, it happens frequently nil-nil matches all the time at 90 minutes. But it's, you know, it's intense. It's the world's most popular sport. Uh, and despite the fact that the goal is very difficult to accomplish, makes it, it just, you know, makes it more exciting. Football, you want to get a pointy pigskin from one end of the field to the other behind 11 angry guys. And it's a big deal when it happens. In basketball, the main goal of the sport is to put a, a ball through a hoop. And, and it happens more than 100 times a night. And when the score is, you know, 135 to 145, it's just not all that exciting to me. It's See, plus, and I'll point this more out. exciting. What? Because <laughs> it happens all the time? Like, if, I don't know. I just, this is also the only sport, the only major sport, where a pituitary disorder can make you a seven-digit millionaire athlete. Sounds like you're pretty bitter towards Yao Ming. Like. <laughs> I actually like Yao Ming, but um, but yeah, the fact that, that he could just be born gargantuan and stick his elbow in the rim flat-footed doesn't really impress me from an athletic prowess standpoint. I gotcha. I gotcha. So I don't know, but in, in hockey, that's not going to happen. In hockey, you're flying around, you know, on frozen water at twice human speeds with bone-shattering checks and hits and, and you know occasional uh, fights break out it's just it, there's just always edge of your seat excitement well i don't disagree with you there however i would say that the fights in the nhl rival wwe and wwf more so than any <laughs> of the fights in the in the nba 
You know, it's, it's, uh, it's funny that a lot of those fights, like it's, it's been such a part of the hockey culture. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times those fights are not even out of like aggression. So you'll, there, there are a few instances you can find them on YouTube, um, but where some of the players are mic'd up uh-huh. and it, it'll be, you know, there's one, I remember it was, um, uh, it was a Pittsburgh Penguins highlight and the two are at the, at the face off and it's like a five to one game. And, uh, you know, they're, they're talking and of course in their Canadian accents, like, yes, game's not much to watch. Hey, eh? it's like, yeah, you want, you, you want to give them something to cheer about? Yeah, I'll do that. All right. They drop the gloves. Good luck. Yeah, you too. And then they just go at it. <laughs> they just pound each other's faces in and it's just, you know, that's just part of the, the excitement, you know, the culture and stuff for, for them now, because, because the game was really bad. Otherwise. Now what's the goal of the fighting? So you're talking about these goals. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we're just fighting for fun. I feel like that is the WWE. The WWE. goal in that case is probably to get two sluggers off the ice, get the crowd back into the game, enjoy it a little more and uh, sell more. Sounds tickets. like acting to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw the fight. It was very real. <laughs> on, on a more serious note, why in every sport is zero, zero, something different. So football, it's zero, zero. Soccer, it's nil-nil. Basketball, it's zero-zero because they haven't started the game yet. (laughs) Tennis tennis is love-love. That's a valid point. Does anybody else call it? uh, I guess you would call it shutouts in other games if if you keep them to zero. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think, well, I always just kind of thought. And then, but but in tennis, so if you're up like 30 love, but if you like win a set 6-0, you don't say 6-love. I feel like, and, and you know, I'm probably going to upset some tennis fans saying this, but I feel like tennis scoring was one of those things that somebody came up with in their backyard. And, you know, you know when you're playing with your buddies and you're inventing a game as a little kid, you know, and, yeah. and then you're like, oh, no, when this happens, uh, that means it's my ball again. And you're <laughs> like, oh, well, that's convenient, you know. And somebody's yeah. like, oh, no, we don't call it zero. We call it um, love. And and now I'm up by 15 points. Yeah. <laughs> what? But you only scored once. Yeah, but no, that's, that's how it works. You that's, know? A, that's exactly how I felt the first time I played uh, one-on-one and played make it, take it. Or someone scored and <laughs> like, I make it, take it. I was like, well, wait a minute. That's not a thing. <laughs> you just you waited until you scored to call that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. But right. in summation, I don't hate basketball. I just think there are like 31 other sports that are more interesting to watch. I love March Madness, that said. If you don't learn anything else from this podcast. It's Cole's an awful human being. Cole sucks at basketball <laughs> and therefore hates it. It's true. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.